Well, good morning to you all again. Let's see, today's sermon text is coming from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 24 down the end of the chapter. So when you find Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, would you please stand for reading God's word? Alright, Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and eat dust, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for uh, this passage before us today. Lord, thank you for speaking and even seeing to it that your words are recorded and handed down. Lord, we thank you that we're on receiving end here. That we have your word, revelation from you, revelation about you. Lord, we're asking that you also open up our minds, open up our understanding so that we may understand you better and understand your ways better. Lord, may our love for you be increased. May our trust in you be increased. And Lord, as always, we ask that through these things you would be honored and glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In uh, in his hit song uh, back in the seventies, um, Jerry Reed said, "We got a long way to go and a short time to get there." And so uh, that's kind of our situation today. There's a lot here. You, you, you notice we're whittling it down here. I mean, last last week we had verses eight through twenty-four. Today, fourteen through twenty-four. So we're we're moving along. There's a lot here. What I'm going to try to do is uh, um, cover what I think are the the um, 
high points here, the things that we need to really um, focus on. And uh, Lord willing, I'll, I'll kind of, I got a lot of notes here. Lord willing, I'll stay close to them. I, I almost always have notes in front of me. I just don't use them. Um, but I probably will try to do that today, Lord willing, maybe to help keep me on track a little bit and keep us moving along. We'll see. Uh, if we don't make it, I'll tell you the same thing I said before. If we don't make it all the way through, then we'll just have to uh, leave with a cliffhanger, right, and pick it up next time. Uh, so um, the big thing, is, is again, is judgment and grace. And then, you know, this is one thing that ought to just really astound us that um, when man deserves judgment, uh, we, God includes grace. And, and we're getting that right up here in the front of the Bible. So, so I want us to notice that today. In fact, this is going to be my, my little summation for this section that we're looking at. God responds to man's rebellion with judgment and grace. And like I say, those, those last two words really ought to just amaze us. We expect the first part. God responds to man's rebellion with judgment. Of course, because that's, um, that's the right thing to do. That's why he's called a just judge. God responds to man's rebellion with judgment and grace. All right. Um, I, will, I will kind of give you this just to, uh, because I think this is interesting. None of these things are by coincidence. But as far as the structure of the, the text, the, way, the, the literary form, it is what's called a, a chiism or teism. I'm never quite sure about the right pronunciation of that word, but... but um, it's a it's a a, a literary um, device, kind of poetic, and it's where you, you would take different lines and and uh, I wish I had a, a probably should have prepared something for the projector or, or for the board or something like that. But you know you'd have like a line and then you can think of it as on paper as being indented. You have your second line and then maybe another one, and so it's indented a little more. And then you're coming backwards. Um, Less indention on the fourth line, less indention on the fifth line. And what it does is, you know, each one of those, the reason they indent them like that is because each one of them is, uh, each one of them correlates. So for here, in, in this section, you've got the man is questioned, and then secondly, the woman is questioned, and then thirdly, and this is the, like the, the point of the arrow here, thirdly, the serpent is cursed, and then coming back, the woman is sentenced. That correlates with line two. The woman is, is with a part two. The, the woman is questioned. So the serpent is cursed, and then the woman is sentenced, and then the man is sentenced. So the man is questioned. The woman is questioned. The serpent is cursed. The woman is sentenced, and the man is sentenced. That's the way that this is laid out. It's kind of, kind of uh, interesting, I think. And keyism is a is a really um, popular Hebrew device. So, I mean, it is the, the Old Testament just loaded with it. Well, the New Testament, uh, too, because it's, those are Hebrew writers. Um, so, it's, it's just loaded with it. And you see all kinds of examples of it, especially like in Psalms and Proverbs and so forth. But anyway, I just wanted to point that out because that'll kind of, even if you don't do the, the keyistic um, diagram there, you still got a basic outline there. The man is questioned, the woman is questioned, the, ser- the serpent is cursed, and then the woman is sentenced, and then the man is sentenced. And I'm going to divide all that up into two main parts, and, 
And that's using our title here, Judgment and Grace. So, so first, you know, the judgment. God's judgment, or you, can, or you could just say the judgment. And what we're talking about here is the lasting consequences of sin. Earlier I talked about immediate consequences. Uh, for example, they, they, um, after they partook of the fruit, uh, their eyes were open, which means their understanding was open. And they saw that they were uh, naked, right? And, and then they were ashamed. They were ashamed at that point, so they tried to cover themselves. The immediate effects of sin. They ran from God. They tried to hide themselves. Immediately, I'm out. Those things were taking place, um, but there are also lasting consequences in the form of, of um, God's judgment, uh, living under the curse. All right. So, judgment. Here's the first big main point: judgment, and uh, it actually comes in reverse order, which again I think is no coincidence. Um, when when you think about the Creation, creative order that I talked about last week, where God creates man in his own image and likeness. And so God creates man, uh, and in this sense I'm talking about male, God creates male as, as the head, and then he creates woman as his helper. And both man and woman are created equally in the image of God. So equal, like we said before, equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in personhood. And so both man and woman, uh, I think it's correct to understand that both man and woman are given dominion over the rest of the earth, which, of course, includes all of the animal kingdom. So you've got a a, a total subversion of that in the fall, because here comes Satan, who he's operating through a, a serpent here, and the serpent is just one of the beasts, one of the cattle of the field, right? Uh, one of the part of creation that man and woman have dominion over. But he's able to deceive them. So he's setting himself up as though he were some kind of authority, you know, and I'm telling you that God said you'll surely die, but I'm telling you you shall not surely die, you know, and he, he correct, uh, just uh, directly contradicts God. So, And then on top of that, he comes to the woman rather than the man subverting the, he- the headship of the man. Um, so now you've got the judgment in reverse order of creative order. In other words, it's serpent first and then the woman and then, um, then the man when it comes down to handing out the, the judgment. But, but he will question man first and, we, and then the woman and then the serpent. Uh, or I should say this, he, he will question man and woman. Um, he doesn't question the serpent. You know, and we, and we talked about this part of it last week, and I, and I told you, when, he, when God comes, you know, saying things like, where are you? It's not for his benefit, because it's not for information, but he's saying it for their benefit, uh, I think, to uh, open their eyes to what they've done some. He doesn't do that with the serpent. So while it seems like, again, graciously, it seems like God is trying to provoke a, um, uh, a good reaction out of, out of man and woman, in other words, trying to, like, call them to account and make them realize but he doesn't do that with the serpent. With the serpent, it's just hammer down. The hammer's down. Judgment. Curse. In fact, that terminology is used with the serpent. You are cursed. Cursed. All right? So, um, and then, of course, also last week we talked about the little blame game. You know, Adam blames Eve, which ultimately what he's doing there is blaming God, that woman you gave me. Eve blames the serpent. Which again, I would suggest ultimately what she's doing there is blaming God. 
um, because the serpent's part of creation. God, if you hadn't created the serpent, we wouldn't be in this mess. And we discussed all of that, and that brings us to verse 14, where judgment falls. And I think you could probably think of it in, in these two ways. Um, in terms of the curse, or being cursed, Satan is going to be cursed. Or you could say the serpent. Here he's taking the form of a serpent. But the serpent is cursed. I think I would prefer a different term for the man and the woman. It's, it's more like um, being sentenced. And they're going to live under a curse. In other words, the, the, the world, the earth is cursed. And he says that for the, uh, when, he's, when he's talking to man. Um, but uh, there's a window of hope left open with man and woman, right? But not so with the serpent. All right, so let's look at these in the order they're, they're given here. Uh, again, uh, and, and I would say this way, I know you probably already noticed me mixing up Satan and the serpent. Uh, that's because Satan is being represented here, and he's the one operating through the serpent. So it's, it's interesting. God seems to speak to both. So you, verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? He's talking to the serpent. So, so you picture this creature, a snake, like Sheila and I were talking about just a few moments ago, uh, snakes. And you picture this creature. God is clearly, Moses is saying, God said to the serpent. But here's what he says. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Now, again, so far, so good. I mean, he's talking to this animal. And then he goes on. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So the image there is, you know, this, unlike other um, beasts or Sometimes this phrase, cattle of the field, is used, livestock. Unlike other animals, the, the serpent is slithering on his belly. And, uh, and, it's, and it's not that he's uh, living off of dirt, dust, but it's just the idea, you know, you eat dust when you're slithering on the ground. Um, or like yesterday when I was using a, uh, a saw, uh, you eat a lot of dust. Uh, a lot. <laughs> and I'm feeling it today. Dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Well, that's not a pleasant thought. So, um, there, you, you know, you get the picture. I mean, Moses says he's talking to the serpent, and, and all of that fits, right? But then you get to verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, verse 15, I would say there's a, there's a twofold meaning here. Of course, it's not original with me. I'm not trying to suggest that. Um, everybody understands this, pretty much. But there's a, there's a twofold meaning here. So, first of all, there's this perpetual enmity between snakes and people. That's, that's the point of the, <clears throat> the first two lines there. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is, you, serpent... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, or literally seed, between your seed and her seed. So that's why I call it perpetual because it's not just, 
you and the woman, but it's also your seed and her seed. So this is going to be an ongoing hostility. The, the New English translation uses the term hostility. I like that. Most of the rest of uh, translations use enmity, um, which is good as well. The idea is war, okay? <laughs> There's going to be war between you and, and uh, your seed, and you and the woman, and then your seed and her seed. This is going to be a perpetual thing. And we, we still feel that. Most of us do. I know some people like snakes, and uh, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, hey, if you're a true Christian, <laughs> not, not saying that, uh, but g- generally speaking, people don't like snakes. Snakes don't like people. That's a reflection of what's going on here. And, it, and it's easily applied in the natural, right? I mean, pe- people just revolt at the thought of snakes, generally speaking. But we know that there's something more at work here because he also says, these next two lines, he shall bruise your head. Okay, that's the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman shall bruise your head, serpent. Interesting, isn't it? And you shall bruise his heel. Now, wait a minute. Okay, I'm putting in enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, or your seed and her seed. But he doesn't say, okay, you serpent, the woman will bruise your head, and you serpent will bruise her heel. He doesn't say that, which is what you might expect. You're thinking, okay, there's enmity between these two that are standing right here in front of God this day. And then there's also going to be enmity between all of their progeny. But this time he says, He, that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, serpent, and you, serpent, shall bruise his heel, the seed of the woman's heel. Now, I'll come back to this uh, in a few minutes, but for now I just want to make the point that there's, there's, there's a twofold fulfillment of this. So there is enmity between a literal snake and literal human beings that still exists in our It's perpetual hostility. But there's something more at work here, and that is while the Lord is speaking to the serpent, he's actually at the same time speaking to Satan. Okay, And it's interesting because this is what Jesus does in Matthew 16, right? He turns around and says to Peter, Get behind me! Satan, and it wasn't a slip. You know, he didn't forget Peter's name, or it's not that he, you know, he had, he was thinking about Satan, and he spoke to Peter and accidentally called him Satan. It wasn't that. So why did Jesus look at Peter, talk to Peter, and say, "Get behind me, Satan," because he knew that at that moment Peter was operating under Satan's influence. And the enemy that Jesus was speaking to was Satan. Now, there's a sense in which you could say it was Peter. He goes on to say, you don't savor the things of God, but the things of man. And that's certainly true of Peter at that point. He was, he was having that struggle. But Jesus was speaking to the real and ultimate enemy, Satan. That's what's happening here. God's speaking to the serpent, but at the same time, what he's doing is pronouncing a curse on Satan. The old serpent, capital S, that's what John calls him in Revelation. 
the dragon. All right, so um, he pronounces a curse on the serpent and Satan. And there is perpetual hostility, yes, between snakes and people, but then, then again, that is just um, uh, picturing something greater. I mean, there's a hostility between Satan and the people of God that is perpetual. Okay. Um, next, and, and by the way, little, I, we would call him the deceiver, right? The serpent, Satan, the deceiver. So next is Eve, and Eve is the deceived, the deceived. In verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So essentially, there's two things here. He says, I'm going to multiply your pain and childbearing. And then, again, in, in uh, uh, poetic uh, parallel form here, he expands, expands on that a little bit. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And probably the idea there is um, not intended to be merely physical. So, yes, there's a lot of pain in childbirth, and you know, women who've been through it can testify to that. But also, there's just pain, isn't there, in, in parenting? And so, um, this is all increased now. How, how, many, how many times have you heard somebody say something like, Well, we'd like to have children, uh, it'd be great to have children, but we just hate to bring a child into this world because it's so corrupt. That's the result of the fall. And by the way, we shouldn't think that way. That's not a good way to think. It's a wrong, wrong thinking. But the reason people do think that way is because the world is bad. I mean, it's, it's corrupt. There's a lot of evil in the world. So this pain of childbearing, uh, conceiving, bearing, raising children... You know, the whole gamut from, from the conception to the... Uh, because it's not that the, con- the conception is physically painful, but, the, but this whole experience from conception to till your... your um, I start to say finished. I want to say finished raising, but, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? So from conception all <laughs> the rest of your relationship, there's pain involved because of the fall. And then certainly literal pain is involved with birth, childbirth. So that's the first part of it, uh, the sentence, the woman's sentence. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now here's the second part. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now this is something I, I, I want to highlight more. I may spend... A little more time on it here, because I want to. I want to be really clear here. Um, there, there's essentially um, two parts here, and I'm going to label this disharmony with man. All right. So the first part of Eve's sentence is pain and childbearing. The second part is disharmony with man, or you could put, you know, disharmony with her husband. 
And there's two parts to this. And this is the new reality that they're going to be um, living now. And, and I'm, I'm going to give them to you, then the two things, and then I'll go back and talk about them. But the first is inordinate desire on her part. Are you just put wrong desire, selfish desire, selfish ambition, however you want to word it, but inordinate desire on her part. And then the second part is spousal oppression. Spousal oppression. So, inordinate desire and spousal oppression. So, so I, want, I want to explain these, and here's what I want to be crystal clear on. When, when God says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, uh, I'm, I'm going to suggest this to you. He's not saying this is how it ought to be. Like, like as though this is, this is the way it is now. So, um, like it or not, deal with it. This is, and, you know, surrender to this. This is the way it is now. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is this is the way that it is now because of your sin... But this is not the way that it ought to be. So what he's describing, because some people interpret this as what God is saying here is, okay, your desire shall be for your husband. What, what God is saying here is you as a wife, um, gosh, how can I say it because there's some truth to this, but I, but I don't, I don't want um, to communicate the, the bad part here. But God is saying your desire shall be for your husband, meaning that basically you're going to live for your husband, you know, created you to be a helper, and now because of the, the fall, it's like you're, you're going to take even more of, a, of a, uh, a role of subjection, and your whole life is going to revolve around your husband. And then the second thing is, he shall rule over you. So um, now you, you are, because of the fall, you are now under his rule. And so people take that as, okay, this is, this is a consequence of the fall, her desire is toward her husband. This is the way it's supposed to be now. And he's her ruler. What I'm suggesting is that is not what he's saying. What he's saying is, yes, this is the way it's going to be now because you're both corrupt. Because you're messed up. So he's not saying just, just here it is, this is what I want you to do now. He's saying, here's how it's going to be now. This is what you're going to be fighting against. Just, just like with Adam, when we get to Adam, we'll see that he you know, curses the ground and it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. Well, uh, yes, he's saying this is the way it's going to be from now on because of your sin. But the idea is this is, this is what you're going to struggle with now. This is what you're going to be working to overcome this is what you're going to be dealing with. And I think it's the same here, and I'm going to show you why. All right, so let's, let's go back to inordinate desire. This is an internal sin on the part of the woman. So when he says your desire toward your husband, I don't think he's stating that as a positive thing, like, uh, okay, Eve, you messed up. Part of your judgment is now your whole desire is going to be toward your husband. I, I think what he's saying is... Um, Originally, I created you, male and female, 
man is the head. We, you know, we often use the term head of the household. Um, that's scriptural, by the way. Head, man is the head, 1 Corinthians 11, um, for example. So um, man is the head, and then I created woman as helper. What he's saying here, I think, in verse 16 is, now because of your sin, the way it's going to play out from now on is not man is the head and you're, you're submissive to him as his helper, but the way it's going to play out is you are going to try to usurp his authority. You're going to try to usurp his role as head. Your desire, meaning an evil desire, an inordinate desire, will be to resist his headship. This is, in other words, he's, again, he's describing an internal sin on the part of the woman. So part of her judgment is this sin within her that she will have to deal with. And it's, it stems from a dissatisfaction with the assigned role of submission of the wife uh, in particular, and in some sense, all women uh, in general. It's the, the, it's the desire to usurp male headship. So, um, again, t- two parts. Inordinate desire, spousal oppression. The first one is sin within her that she's going to have to deal with and that every woman is going to have to deal with following Eve. And the second part, spousal oppression, is, is sin outside of her that she's going to have to deal with. Something coming at her. Attack. So, spousal oppression. Sort of like, um, and when I say sin without, uh, on the outside or whatever, it's, it's kind of like, um, like the pain in childbearing he's already described. And I know you're probably thinking, that's not something on the outside of me, that was on the inside of me. Um, but, what I, but it's not... It's, it's not your own evil. See what I'm saying? I mean, if you had pain in childbirth, that was not sinful. But the inordinate desire is sinful. But if you had pain in childbirth, that is something you had to deal with or even try to overcome. You know, maybe you had an epidural to overcome the pain in childbearing. But whatever, you had to deal with it. Even though it wasn't sinful, you know, the fact that you were having pain wasn't sinful, but it was something you had to deal with. Okay, it's like that here, spousal oppression. Something from this point on Eve's going to be faced with and all of women who come after her, um, that is oppression from the man or husband. Now let me tell you why I'm interpreting this the way that I am. So, first of all, Part of Eve's sentence, what we're describing here is the second part. First, you know, first pain and childbearing. Second, um, second is disharmony with man, and then two parts here: inordinate desire and spousal oppression. So she's going to try to usurp male headship, and in the spousal oppression part, he will abuse his headship. So again, this is not God saying, look, in, in sort of a positive way, now because of the fall, part of your punishment is 
He shall rule. Your husband shall rule over you. And that's the way, um, you know, that it's supposed to be. I, I think what he's saying is your husband will rule over you in a bad way. Will, will um, abuse his role of headship. So where her internal sin is trying to usurp his headship, this sin which is coming at her from outside is an abuse of that same headship on the part of the man. Now, why do we interpret it that way? Now look with me over into chapter 4 for just a moment. Chapter 4, verse 7. And this is where God is, is pronouncing a curse upon Cain, punishment upon Cain. And Moses here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, so you, so you could say God here, uses the same phrasing, the same language. And it's usually translated a little different. But look, look at 4, verse 7. If you do well, will you not... I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I said it was, uh, it, it was part of his judgment, but it, this is actually when he's complaining about his, uh, his offering not being accepted. So the Lord says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Now hear what he says here. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And everybody gets the picture, right? And we, we know that Cain's heart was evil. In fact, he winds up killing his brother Abel. But here he's so mad because God accepted Abel's sacrifice but would not accept his sacrifice. And God tells him, look, if you do well, you'll be accepted too. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. So you got this picture of sin, um, just for the purpose of illustration, he's giving us this picture like sin is like a, a predator. So you can imagine if... You know, it's like kind of like one of those old horror movies or something. Remember, if you if you were about to walk out this door when we dismiss, and there's this predator crouched on the other side of the door waiting for you to come out, and the minute you step out that door, it attacks to devour you, right? That's the picture. God's saying that's the way it is with sin. If you if you don't do well, that's how it's going to be. Sin is crouching at the door to devour you like a lion crouches when he's about to jump on an antelope. And hear what he says. Its desire, that is sin, he's personifying it as though it desires something. Its desire is for you. Now, let me ask you, what is sin desiring at that point? Using this little picture that God gives us here, what, what is sin desiring? It's desiring to destroy you, to overtake you, to, to master you. Right? Its desire is for you. Right? And, we, and we get the picture right there. We understand that what he's, what he's not describing is something good. He's not, he's not saying... Oh, all of sin's heart's desire is toward you. It just loves you so much. It's not, not what he's saying at all. He's talking about a predator. Its desire is for you. And then he goes on to say, 
but you must rule over it. So what he's saying is sin desires to destroy you, devour you, master you. So what you've got to do in return is master it. Dog eat dog, right? That's the kind of hostile world we live in now. Now, notice, again, no coincidence, he uses the same two words. Desire, and here we clearly understand that it's not good desire. It's evil desire. Desire, Its desire is for you. What did he say to the woman? Your desire shall be for your husband. And what I'm suggesting is he doesn't mean that in a good way. He's not saying, oh, you're going to be, you know, if you're a godly woman, you're going to be so given to the good of your husband. All your desire is going to be for your husband. I mean, it's true. If you're a godly woman, you're, you'll, you'll be, your desire will be good for your husband, right? But that's not what he's saying there. He's saying you're going to be like a crouching lion, a predator in waiting. Because you're so dissatisfied with the role that you've been given. You're going to be like a predator crouching to devour your husband. And you're also going to have to deal... You've got to deal with that. That's sin on the inside of you that you've got to deal with now because of the fall. And every woman after Eve has to deal with that because of the fall. And then there's this sin coming at you from the outside that you've got to deal with. The spousal oppression. A man who's abusing his headship. He shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he, your husband that is, shall rule over you. Again, notice the same word. Chapter 4, verse 7, talking about sin. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So the whole idea is sin's trying, in in the case with Cain, sin's trying to conquer you. You must conquer it. It's the same language, the same phrasing. That's what he's saying to the woman. Because of your sin, you will be trying to conquer your head instead of submitting to your head. You're going to have to deal with that internal, inordinate desire to usurp your husband's headship. Because it's there now. It's a part of your existence now because of your sin. And secondly, you're also going to have to deal with your husband abusing his God-given headship. So while you're trying to master him and conquer him, he's going to come back with force and master you and conquer you. It's part of her sentence One more thing and we'll finish up here. Let's go move on to Adam. I should just say, again, concerning those things, that's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. 
It's not the way godly people should live. It's the way people live because of sin. And godly people have to struggle with that and overcome it. So Adam, Adam we're going to call the capitulator. Ooh, and I'm out of time. So I'm going to do this real quick and we'll have to plan to come back to it as well uh, next time. But Adam um, is, is told this as his sentence. Because, verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, I think that's a... a um, the way to properly understand that, I think, is uh, you, you have listened to... The, if I could just paraphrase, just for explanation. You have listened to the voice of your wife when you should not have. I, I, I don't think God is saying, Adam, you should never listen to your wife. And because you did, look at the mess you're in, and you know now the ground is cursed, and you're going to have all this pain and toil. Oh, that can't be true. You know, you, I, there are other places. I think it's chapter 21 where um, Sarah wants to get rid of Hagar and her child, and Abraham's reluctant to do that. And God says, Abraham, listen to your wife. She's telling you the right thing here. And there's a reason for it. Got, I don't have time to go through all that. You can read Galatians 4 and you'll see. But the idea is not you never listen to your wife. But if your wife, and here's the difference between Sarah and Eve, if your wife is telling you to defy the will of God and you listen to her, then you're in trouble. What Sarah was telling Abraham to do was in line with God's will and God's, uh, you know, revealed word. What Eve was telling Adam to do was in direct contradiction to God's revealed will, His commandment. You shall not eat of the tree, and Eve's saying, here, eat of the tree. So I think that's, that's what he means. Because you've listened to your wife, meaning when she was contradicting me, or, you know, you listened to her at a time when you should not have. Remember Job? Job's wife came to him and said, just curse God and die. And Job said, you speak as one of the foolish women. He wouldn't listen to her. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. Notice that, because this correlates with the woman. In pain you will... Um, you will have pain in childbearing. For Adam, it's going to be pain in uh, providing, pain in producing. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it's, it's, uh, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, so God says you're going to have pain in trying to produce. You're going to have pain in providing for your family. Just like childbearing for the woman is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a hardship. Providing for your family is going to be difficult. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a hardship. And then he gives him what I think is a reminder here. In verse 19. Remember, remember the temptation? You shall be as God, right? That's what Satan told him. Eat of the fruit, you shall be as God. And so the Lord, in closing out his sentences here, says, 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, that is the ground, out of it you were taken. For you are dust. You're dirt. And if you look back to, uh, what is it, 2-7, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground. He's made from dirt. And he was willing to accept the temptation, You shall be like God. So the Lord's reminding him here of his creatureliness. You're going to return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That whole effort to be like God didn't exactly work out, did it? He's dirt. Dust. Well, we are dust. Creatures, not Creator. Now, I've got to close with this last point. Um, and, and Lord willing, we'll probably come back to some of this so we can talk about it a little more. But, but just for today, because we're out of time, um, let, me, let me just say a couple things here. All of that we've been talking about is the judgment. The, the second main point is, is grace. Grace. Or you, you might want to call it this, the gospel according to Moses. Because this is written by Moses. The gospel according to Moses. What is it? Well, first of all, you see it in verse 15. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I put a lot of emphasis on that a while ago and some explanation. So I'm not going to go back over that. We understand that is a prophecy concerning Christ. Jesus shall bruise your head, Satan. And you, Satan, shall bruise Jesus' heel. That's an allusion to the gospel. Now, it's not a lot of detail there, but uh, it's gospel truth nonetheless. And then I think you see it again when God clothes them. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve she, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Remember earlier they had tried to clothe themselves because of their shame. And now graciously, even after pronouncing these sentences and judgment, God clothes them. And that's a foreshadowing of clothing us with the righteousness of Christ. I mean, we sin and we do what we can on our own to hide our sin and to hide from the presence of God and to justify our sin. You know, it's because of her, it's because of him, it's because you made the world the way you made the world and I didn't have a chance. We do all of those things. And in the end, God provides what we really needed. The righteousness of Christ. Because our little fig leaf uh, making efforts, you know, and, and, and our attempts at self-justification, none of that restores us to right relationship with God. But the righteousness of Christ does. So, in these judgments, there is perpetual enmity between the serpent and man. Note that. God doesn't give any hope of any reconciliation, anytime, anywhere, any place, forever. 
perpetual enemy. The curse that he pronounces on Satan, there's no hope attached to it. Period. None. Zero. And then he gives this promise of victory. And so even even when he sentences man and woman, says, you know, you're going to have these hardships and this and that because now because of you the earth is cursed and because of your sin all these things are coming upon you. Even, even when he does all that, he injects right in the middle of it hope, promise of victory. Because the seed of the woman, capital S, seed of the woman, Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. And because in the end, God is going to clothe us. And of course, for all of us who are born-again Christians today, uh, that is already true of us. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And it will be fully manifest in the kingdom to come. So there's perpetual enmity, no hope for for Satan, but there is hope. For the man and the woman. Because God is already promising to send a conqueror. And He's already promising to cover our sin. Listen, that has that is huge, even for everyday life. Think about everything I just said about verse 16. What is our hope then? Women trying to overthrow the headship of the man. Man abusing their headship and, and mistreating their wives and so forth. And, and even unmarried, you know, men and women just in general out in the culture, you know, doing each other wrong and so forth. So that's, we don't have any hope. Yes, we do because of this conqueror. And you get to Ephesians 5 and you find out God is is showing Christians that you don't have to live like verse 16 here. Because in Christ, we are empowered to fulfill the roles that He's given us to fulfill. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? And in Christ, the effects of the fall are reversed, overturned. And that's good news. So, judgment, yes, there's judgment because of man's sin. But isn't it amazing? There's also grace. Grace. And we're already seeing it here. We're already seeing the gospel right here in Genesis 3. We're only three chapters into the Bible. Would you stand, please? All right. I like that. Of course, you'd never know. You know, if everybody just stood up and cheered, I wouldn't know if you were saying, man, that was an awesome sermon, or if you were to say, oh, I'm so glad it's over. Woo! <laughs> but it'd be exciting either way, you know. So. <laughs> All right. Let's pray, and, and, uh, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you again for your word and for these promises. It promises that you would send a deliverer, a conqueror, to act in our behalf. And Lord, you've done it. 
You've done it in sending Your own Son to live, die, and be resurrected for us that we might be clothed with the righteousness of Christ and have eternal life. We're so thankful for Your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.